This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Reed's near-death experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? You know reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello, and welcome to the Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences podcast. Uh, I wanted to do something a little different again today, um, and it, it, this kind of came together by, by chance. I was just scrolling through Reddit, as one does, and uh, saw on a uh, the Reddit page for Near-Death Experiences that there was this link to um, a bunch of near-death experiences from Thailand. Um, and so I just started scrolling through this link, um, and there's about 11 different stories on there, and I thought it was really interesting. It's different from um, kind of what we're used to in a Western uh, Christian Judeo kind of uh, near-death experience, but there, as always, are some similarities. So I thought it would be perfect to read on the on the podcast, and um, what we have is I, I picked out three of the stories that I liked, and uh, so they are uh, they are different, and I, I should probably give you some, uh, I guess, a little bit of background to to look, make more sense of it. Um, most of these, well, these these stories. Uh, feature a god named Yama, um, which I guess is a god that exists in both Hinduism and Buddhism, um, and he is the lord of death. Uh, his servants or messengers or maybe angels, I'm not really sure how to characterize it, but they are known as Yamatuts, um, and so uh, usually once the person dies, the Yamatuts come to collect the soul and take them to Lord Yama. Um, so I, I had to do a little bit of research to, to kind of make sense of this. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm still uh, not well versed enough in the religion of Thailand to say that I fully can, uh, uh, I don't know, analyze it like I would usually do for a Western near-death experience. Um, it seems that uh, Thailand is a majority Buddhist, um, and particularly the uh, Theravada school of Buddhism. Um, there are different sects and and uh, schools in Buddhism, and I guess Thailand is uh, like 98% Theravada. But again, there's this kind of uh, syncretism with, with these Hindu deities um, as well as the Buddhist aspect. So I'm not really sure kind of how it, it's all come together and, and what these people experienced, how you can um, kind of draw a straight line from the religious beliefs to what they experienced when they died because I'm not well-versed enough and, you know, me just doing some research on Wikipedia and, and other stuff is not enough to make me an expert on, uh, by any stretch of the imagination on, on what, what um, these people believe, uh, you know, culturally and religiously and, and how that affects what they ended up experiencing. So just keep that in mind as we are going through this, that um, I wanted to read this to show a different lens of what this experience can be and to try and find at the very, very basic level some commonalities to to explore and, and try to get behind. But I'm very limited by my lack of, of uh, knowledge and immer uh, immersion in the culture to really be able to say anything. So... Um, like I mentioned, these I I will share the link to where I found um, these stories. I'm not really familiar with the website, um, 
so I'll just share the link and uh, you can read them. There's there's 11 of them, so if, if these interest you, then uh, feel free to go through the other ones. Um, um, I should probably mention that this uh, these stories all feature depictions of hell, which can be quite gruesome at times. So if that's something you don't want to hear and you don't like listening to, then you might want to pass on this episode. But just wanted to let you know. Um, but we will start off with the near-death experience of Go Taeng Saep, um, who is a 46-year-old Chinese and Thai coffee shop employee. And all of these uh, near-death experiences that I'm going to be reading today are coming from one book, which is called Prasobkan Tong Venana, uh, Experience Through Consciousness, and this is by Tong Tai Suwanathat. And this is volume two. This one specifically is coming from pages 220 to 239. So without any further ado, here is Go Taeng Sayep's near-death experience. One day at work, quite without warning, I fell unconscious. Everybody thought I was dead. My boss was fond of me and bought the best quality coffin for me, one made in the classical style. He took me to the temple and sponsored a high funeral ceremony for me. I didn't know that I had died. Even though I was no longer in my body, I felt sleepy and laid down. I felt that I was dreaming even though I was dead. In this dream, two Yamatuts took me to a strange place. I saw many people who looked like prisoners. I knew some of them. I greeted them. I asked them why they were in this place. One of them said, here he comes, and then disappeared. The Yamatuts guided me to a torture chamber, one for those who had committed murder. I saw guards hitting the prisoners on the head with an iron hammer. People were being chopped into pieces. They reassembled themselves and were then chopped up again and again until the karma they carried from having killed people was exhausted. After this process was finished, their pieces were fed to dogs and vultures with iron beaks. The Yamatut explained that these prisoners were not afraid of making bad karmas, that they actually liked killing people. This torture, he said, was the result of their murderous karmas. After these karmas were extinguished, they would be reborn as animals in the earthly plane of existence. In that life, they would have to die by being killed. They would not be allowed to live out their natural lifespan. The Yamatut then took me to another torture chamber. I saw a path made of hot coals. The guard was forcing people to walk this path. If someone could not bear the pain and stopped walking, the guards would stab them with spears and thus force them to continue. This process was repeated until the person was burned up completely. First their feet, then their calves, then their knees, and so forth. Their bodies then returned to their previous state, and the whole process was repeated. The Yamatude explained that this path of hot coals was for those who had too many defilements and desires. We came to another torture area. These prisoners were punished by having their tongues put between red-hot pinchers. I thought, this is so horrible. They could not bear their punishment, and some tried to escape. They would run to get a drink of water. As they tried to scoop it into their mouths, it was turned into scalding hot oil. In pain, they rolled around on the ground, but even as they did so, nails grew under them. The Yamatut explained that they were being punished like this because during their lives, they were liars and slanderers. I then saw a grove of neo trees, trees with trunks covered with spikes. There were many of them. They had large trunks. At the bases of these trees, there were naked people trying to climb up. Anyone who would not climb was stabbed by the spears the Yamatuts held. I then came to the hell for those who drank, 
took heroin or opium. There were more people in this hell than any other I had witnessed so far. Some were being boiled in a copper pot. Others had been set on fire, while still others were being forced to drink acid. They tried to escape to find water, but when they did so, it turned into boiling oil. Some were able to escape, but those who succeeded found themselves harassed by vultures with iron beaks. The Yamatut said that this was the last place we would visit in hell. I then saw two men I knew well. Back on earth, I had seen them in the market. They made gestures of respect to the Yamatut and asked if they could be allowed to eat. They said that they had been there for a few days and were so hungry. They said that they had fainted several times from hunger, but they couldn't die. We have just been walking around aimlessly, they said. The Yamatut said, Are you really so hungry? They answered, Of course, please help us. The Yamatut pointed to his left and said, Go that way, there is a lot of food there, just ready for you to eat. They saw the food and ran towards it. When they got there, the food turned to stone, sand, and dust. The Yamatut said to me, Don't worry about them. Let's go. I was afraid the whole time I was in hell. I asked the Yamatut, What should I do to avoid these tortures? He answered, Usually those who are more pure than animals, who try to avoid sins and try to do good things, are not reborn here. I was hungry. I asked the Yamatut for food and water. He said that it was no problem and took me to a pavilion. He ordered someone to bring me food. When it arrived, I tried to eat it, but it disappeared in my hand. I said, don't kid me, I'm really hungry. And I tried to eat some more. The same thing happened again. I gave up and tried to drink some water. The water disappeared as well. The Yamatut laughed and said that there was no food for you. It's not yours. If you never create merit by donating food to the monks, you will have no food in hell. When you revive, you absolutely must create merit for yourself in this way. The Yamatut then took me to heaven. I was afraid in hell because I had never created merit. Now it was time to see heaven. Is it possible? I asked. The Yamatut asked me if I really wanted to see heaven. If so, then you must contemplate the three treasures of the Lord Buddha, his teachings, and the community of monks who follow his teachings. Concentrate your mind, pray, and you will go to heaven. After I closed my eyes and put my hands in the prayerful gesture, the Yamatu disappeared and I was no longer in hell. I found myself in another place which was very pleasant. The weather was nice, I was no longer hungry. I saw a garden with trees all in rows. It was very beautiful, like the garden of a king or a millionaire. As I walked into the garden, I smelled some flowers. They were so very fragrant, with a scent I had never known before. Next I saw some angels, both male and female. They glided through the air. They were dressed beautifully and wore exquisite jewelry. Some had flowers in their hair. I kept walking and saw a pavilion with a roof like that of a palace. There was an angelic man sitting inside. His body was surrounded by a green halo. I approached the angel, sat down, and made obeisance. I asked, Who are you? Where am I? He answered, I am the Lord of the angels, and this is the angelic world. I then recognized that this was none other than Indra, the king of heaven. He said to me, When you go back to your world, you should teach your fellow men not to commit sins, as it causes them to go to hell. If they do good and behave in a moral manner, they will be reborn in my heaven. I will show you the mercy of teaching you the Dharma, the sacred law. He imparted this knowledge by opening my wisdom eye. I then saw all the truths of the universe, the future, the past, and the present, 
After six earthly days, Indra told me that he would take me to another level of heaven, the world of Brahma. I saw Brahma, the creator of the universe. His face was similar to Indra's, with a fresh, clean look about it that indicated mercy, compassion, loving-kindness, and equanimity. He had a golden halo. Brahma explained that the angels in his level of heaven were all on their way to take new births in the ordinary world. Therefore, there were many houses that were empty. He was waiting for those who had created much merit during their lives to take rebirth there, but there were very few. Those who were there had mostly been monks who had been strict in their observance of the monastic rule. You have been separated from your body for seven days, he said. If you do not return soon, you will not be able to. Brahma then ordered Indra to take me back to the world of the living. When I returned to my home, I couldn't find my body. I flew up and saw some people carrying a coffin. The angel who had been ordered to take me back hit the lid of my coffin so that it fell down. My spirit then returned to my body, and I then revived. Okay, so we're going to move on to another near-death experience account. Um, this one is from a major general, Major General Sanor Jintarat. Um, I suppose he you know, might have been a general in the Thai army or, or something like that. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of details. Um, but he, uh, he died and um, was revived and two separate occasions, so it's kind of a two-in-one story. Um, and this is from uh, Suwanathot, Volume 2, uh, pages 171 to 203. So here is Major General Sanor Jintarat's near-death experience. First time. At one time, I was addicted to gambling. I was obsessed with playing cards. It was so bad that I learned how to go without sleep. Eventually, this would almost kill me. One weekend, I had a stroke. I couldn't breathe and I felt severe chills. My mother took me to the hospital, but I had already gone into a coma. The doctors refused me admission, saying that it would be better for me to die at home. Finally, my breathing stopped. I found myself walking in a crowd of strangers who wore white clothes. In Thailand, Buddhist lay followers wear white when staying in a temple for more than one day, most commonly for meditation retreats. I was dressed differently, in shorts and a western shirt. The next thing, the crowd and I were walking along a wide road and I found myself crying. It was absolutely silent. A gray mist covered everything. Then I saw a crowd of skeletons. I knew where I was. I was in a different world. I was in hell. I heard a powerful voice telling everyone not to speak to me. I could not tell where the voice was coming from. I thought of my family, but I could not see any way to get back to them. The voice told me that I would not see them. It said that I could cry if I wanted. At these words, I burst out crying. Then I saw a woman wearing green clothes. She had long hair and spoke so sweetly. She said to me, This is your food. Please eat it. We have a long walk ahead of us. I ate all of the food. There were fried eggs, an omelet, beef curry, chicken curry, and candied eggs. These were all my favorite foods, prepared just as my mother had made them for me. I was full after this, and I became thirsty. I told this woman that I wanted some water. She said that there was no water for me here, because I had never donated anything to drink to the monks or a temple. I was very thirsty, and I thought that if I could regain my life, I would never forget to donate cool drinks to the monks I went to visit. After a long walk with this angelic woman, I came home, where I was revived. My second experience. 
I was in the hospital receiving dialysis and shock treatment for kidney stones. During the treatment, I heard a voice telling me that I was dying. It said that I should go with him. I got up quickly. I turned to look at myself lying on the bed and found that I could see my own organs. I then saw that the voice belonged to a Yamatut who told me, you must now leave your family. I cried for a long time. He took me to another world. The Yamatut ordered me to lie down on a glass plate. He said that he would use it as a way to transport me to another world, to heaven. I felt happy because it was quiet and the air was cool, fresh, and smelled of flowers. I saw yellow flowers with a beautiful fragrance. The Yamatut took me up 27 levels. I saw many beautiful things in heaven. There were lovely pavilions in heaven where jewelry littered the ground. I could not see anyone there. The Yamatut told me that the people in heaven were Arupa, formless beings, and thus were invisible. I heard monks chanting the Pali recitation, Shina Bongkorn, the Buddha's window, the whole time I was in heaven. I had never ordained as a monk and so had never learned the Shina Bongkorn during my life. Nevertheless, I heard it constantly as I walked among the heavenly homes of that paradise. The Yamatut took me to the seventh level of heaven, where I was shown my own heavenly home. Inside, I saw one woman and three men. I had never seen them before. Apparently, they were my servants. They had very strange faces, and their clothes were ordinary, but very clean. These clothes had a lovely fragrance, like several kinds of flowers at once. They seemed to be very happy, and they spoke very politely. They said that this was my home. I was puzzled. This was nothing like my home on Earth. That one was much smaller. This one seemed to be perfect. I wanted to live in it. I asked them if I could go in, but they would not give me the key. I was surprised. They had said that this was my home, but they wouldn't let me in. They said that it was not yet time, and that I bore too many sins. I said that I didn't remember having a home in heaven. I remembered all the times that I had performed meritorious actions during my life. I had donated robes to monks, helped to raise funds to build temples, built a pavilion for one temple, and funded construction of an entire temple. I had built a meeting hall for another temple and replaced the roof of still another temple. I did not practice meditation, however. I only made merit. Making merit refers to performing actions that are believed to accrue the religious merit needed to improve one's next birth. Examples include making donations, volunteer work, and certain religious rituals. I asked the servants what they were doing in my home. They answered, Didn't you also help us? You gave us clothes when we had a fire, and often gave us good food to eat. They said that they were grateful for my help, and wanted to serve me in the afterlife. Now I wanted to go into my house and rest, but they still wouldn't give me the key. Finally they turned into giants with black skin. I was very afraid and ran away. I found the same glass table which took me to the next level of heaven. There I found many of my old friends, most of whom were soldiers. They were very happy to see me. I thought that this was where I was going to be forever. They did not know that I would revive. There were ten people. Some of them gave me food and water. Others took me to see even more friends. Some of them were sleeping on a bed. All of them were feeling bad because they were separated from their families. I asked them, where is my bed? They said, there is no bed for you here because this is not your home. Your home is in the next level up. It's better up there. I asked them to make a temporary bed for me, but they said that it was impossible. We have only two pieces of wood and only two nails. I said, never mind. I'm in a hurry. I must go now. 
The glass table took me up to the next level. I thought to myself, I'm lucky. I will be reborn in a human form as there is no animal rebirth for those who get into this plane. Then I heard a voice telling me that I had to go back to the hospital on earth. The doctors had just stopped working on my body. I re-entered my body, but my body rejected me over and over again. Finally, I jumped into my head and it worked. I think this was because I had exited from my head. Okay, so the third and final near-death experience that we're going to be reading is also from the same book that the others have been from. Uh, it's called Experience Through Consciousness by the author Sawanathot, and it can be found on pages 126 to 136. So this one is coming from a Buddhist monk named Pratanasiri Siri Sumphan. Um, there aren't a whole lot of other details, but this one again has a... Uh, double uh, kind of two near-death experiences in one. So, um, yeah, I, I'll just read it and, and let, you, uh, let you hear it. And uh, then we can uh, talk about the three of these and, and kind of how they fit together and, and how we can um, try to make sense of them um, based on other near-death experiences that we've talked about before. So... Uh, here is Pratanasiri Siri Sumphan's near-death experience. I, Pratanasiri Siri Sumphan, a Buddhist monk, was accompanying my cousin as he traveled to another province. I was 13 years old at the time. While we were traveling, I came down with a toothache. I went to a dentist who took the offending tooth out. I felt much better, but I still had some pain. I went to a hotel to sleep. But instead of falling asleep, I lost consciousness. When I came to, I found two Yamatuts. One of them was standing at the head of my bed and the other at the foot. Both of them were holding torches. They looked about 30 years old and had very dark skin. They said only, let's go. I asked them, where are you taking me? They answered, don't ask. I stood up and followed them. One of them said to the other, he is too young, so I'm not going to help you. You do it alone. I have another job to attend to. Eventually, the remaining Yamatut forced me to go with him. I followed him until we came to a crossroad. I became afraid at that point because I had lost my bearings and would not be able to find my way back. Finally, I came to a temple wall. The Yamatu took me to a large gate where I saw a monk giving a sermon to a group of elderly men and women. I made the formal gesture of respect to the monk and as I did so, I realized that the truth and highest form of help was to be found in the Lord Buddha, his teachings, and those who ordained to follow his way, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, also known as the Triple Gym. I walked to a classical-style pavilion. The Yamatu told me to wait for someone who was coming to meet us. A very large Yamatu arrived, who was wearing ancient armor and was carrying a spear. He was accompanied by a group of normal-sized Yamatuts, all of whom were carrying weapons. I felt that the situation was becoming very bad. They took me to the house of Yama, the Lord of the Dead. Yama told me that I had committed many sins, especially in having butchered a number of chickens. I denied it. I said that I had not done that, not even once. Yama was surprised and asked his records keeper, How old is he? Thirteen years, Lord, came the answer. What's his name? My name was read out. Yama said, You've taken the wrong man. Take him back, quickly. You've made a mistake. I said that, before I returned, I wanted to see hell. Yama answered, No, the last thing I have to say to you is that you will die when you are twenty-seven years old. 
be ready. Yama assigned a Yamatut to accompany me back. He took me back to the crossroad where he said that I must go on from there alone. I was afraid and asked him to take me all the way back. He said that I must go on alone. I walked on alone and tripped on a tree root. I then revived. When I was 27, I was ill with a stomach ache that lingered on for a year. My doctor advised surgery. I went into the hospital and the procedure began with anesthesia. As soon as I was under anesthesia, I saw the same Yamatut. I remembered from the last time I had died and been revived. As he led me to Hell's Gate, I walked past a torture chamber. The first thing I saw was a big copper pot full of boiling water. It was full of people who cried out from fear. A Yamatut stood by guarding the people who were being tortured in this way. I walked away from the scene and came to a stand of barren tamarind trees. Their normal bark was replaced by thousands of sharp spikes. Yamatuts at the foot of the tree forced people to climb these trees by prodding them with spears. I didn't ask why these people were being tortured in this way. I already knew. They were being punished for sexual wrongdoing. I continued down the same road and came to some stairs. At the top of the stairs was a flock of birds. I climbed these stairs and found myself in the judgment hall of Yama's palace. I knew that they were ready to judge me for my sins. A giant rooster appeared who told Yama that I had killed him. He emphasized that I had tried to kill him again and again. The rooster said that he remembered me exactly. An entire flock of roosters appeared and testified that I had killed them as well. I remembered my actions and I had to admit that the roosters had told the truth. Yama said that I had committed many sins and sentenced me to many rebirths both as a chicken and many other kinds of birds. After these births, I would then be reborn as an angelic being, Thavada, due to my having performed meritorious actions many times. After Yama was finished reading my sentence, he commanded a Yamatut to take me to the place where I was to receive additional punishments. But quite suddenly, an enormous turtle appeared. It screamed at Yama, saying, don't take him. He is a good human, and he should be allowed to live. Yama asked the turtle, What did he do to help you? The turtle answered, Long ago, I almost died because another of these humans wanted to eat me. This man prevented him, and so I was able to live out my life. Yama asked the turtle if he had any evidence. The turtle asked to be turned upside down and told Yama to look at his underside where he would see where the man had carved his name so many years ago. Yama saw the man's name was there, just as the turtle had said, and believed the turtle's story. Yama announced that he was canceling the sentence, and told me that when I revived, I was to take a vow not to kill any living thing. He said that it was especially bad to kill animals because they had to live through so many lives in order to be reborn as humans. Love the animals, he said, as you love yourself. I asked Yama, what kind of meritorious actions must I perform in order to be reborn in your kingdom? As I came in, I saw your treasures, which are very great and very beautiful. Yama answered, saying, you should build a temple this will create a great deal of merit for you. You will then be reborn in my realm. Then Yama ordered one of the Yamatuts to take me to see the souls of those waiting to be reborn. I was taken to a beautiful garden where they all lived. They wore the most beautiful clothes. I felt they were so happy. I asked the Yamatut, who was now acting as my guide, who they were. He said that they were going to be reborn on the earth. Their fortunate condition here was because they were without sin. I asked, will they be angels? The Yamatut answered that it was so. 
I asked him to take me to see the Lord Buddha. I told him that I needed to see the Buddha. The Yamatut looked up at the sky and pointed. That big star, he said, is the Lord Buddha, and all the little stars are the other enlightened ones, those who have followed the Dharma to the end. I'm afraid that you won't be able to see the Buddha in any other form. You are not pure enough. The Yamatut then took me home, and I then revived. It was just 7 p.m. Okay, so now I'll try to talk about these a little bit. Um, I probably bit off a little more than I could chew, um, not only in the fact that I've, I've already mentioned that I really don't have the uh, cultural knowledge to be able to um, really analyze these and make sense of them as much as I'd usually like to, um, but also the fact that I read three of them and each one has such amazing, interesting details um, that would take forever to get into. Um, like, for instance, the the general who, um, in heaven, he has this house that um, his servants won't let him into, and he, he's like, hey, let me in, give me the key and stuff, and eventually his servants become black giants that scare him and frighten him, and and he runs away, or, or the... Um, uh, the monk who uh, could only see, he asked to see the Lord Buddha, and the only way that he could see Buddha is in the form of a bright star with the other enlightened ones around him, which reminded me of, of one of the other near-death experiences that we've read before, um, Jeffrey's, where he is able to see, um, he asked to see God, and he, the only a form that he can see God in is as a image of an eye with a circle going around it of, of scenes and things. And so there are all these little details. Um, uh, again, for the general, the the uh, woman in green, when he's in this hellish realm, who feeds him and, and comforts him. So all these little things that I would love to kind of tease apart, I, I wish I, like I said, I wish I kind of knew more so I could... Um, be a little more definite about it, but really my my goal in, in reading all of these was just to give you a sense of the ways that clearly there's some kind of cultural influence at play in this phenomena of near-death experiences. Um, that That's really what I wanted to, to try to show with this episode. Um, was that we have some elements which are similar to what we're familiar with uh, as far as what I've read so far on the podcast, as far as Western near-death experiences go. For instance, all, all of these uh, near-death experiences from Thailand feature both um, hell and heaven. Um, most... Western ones tend to just focus on heaven, but um, clearly that's something that that we we share in common. Is is I mean, even in the descriptions of of these places, um, while there are certain details that are different, um, we still have an overall cohesive kind of similar framework of of what constitutes heaven and what constitute, constitutes hell. Um, like I mentioned, these depictions of hell were pretty graphic, lots of torture and, and uh, uh, awful kind of uh, punishments inflicted. Um, I believe two of them even had the same description of a very specific um, uh, torture punishment practice of having to climb up a a tree with, with spikes coming out of it. I mean, that would make me suspect that there's some kind of, the fact that both of these um, experiences had the, that description makes me think that there's some kind of cultural uh, image of that, whether it's in 
some uh, Buddhist or or Hindu text or or something that's um, kind of evolved culturally that this specific torture is is something in hell that that's why it would show up in these uh, in these experiences. Um, but it, you know, it does does make me think that there's there's something to these I don't know archetypal categories that we have of the worst place one can experience and the best place one can experience. Um, you know these Buddhist and and Hindu. I'm not really sure what what the line is between the Buddhist influence and the Hindu influence is here, um, because it seems like there are figures from both. Um, and from what I've read, I, I think there seems to be a lot of differing opinions as far as the, what Buddhist conceptions of the afterlife are. Um, so I haven't, I haven't been able to find one kind of version. So this is interesting for me to dive into. Um, but just the fact that, you know, we have this, this place, hell, um, which is, you know, very vividly described in all three of these, uh, near-death experiences and the descriptions that they provide for the most part could, uh, you could think that you're reading something out of a medieval Christian, uh, depiction of purgatory and 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 hell like something out of a Hieronymus Bosch uh you know painting or something like people being uh you know boiled alive and and all these terrible things these these descriptions are are kind of uh universal in a way and um you know whether it's the Christian version of hell, or, or the Greek Tartarus, or or this Buddhist version of hell. Um, and he, I mean, I already brought up um, Jeffrey's near-death experience, uh, the one that I read a little while ago. I don't know how many episodes back, but uh, if you remember that episode, um, there was a moment where uh, Jeffrey is in some kind of hell-like place where he is being... Um, um, kind of, uh, I don't know, teased or, or tricked by these two figures in, uh, in wearing jackal faces. And they were asking him what he wanted to eat and drink. And he was like, I'll have a sandwich and a Coke. And they bring it to him and it tastes disgusting. It, 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 it uh, you know, um, it tastes awful to him. And, and that was a, uh, there was a similar motif that pops up um, in one of these um, stories from Thailand where, you know, the uh, food turns to ash um, in someone's mouth in hell. And it's kind of like a trick played by the, the Yamatut. And so these little little details are really fascinating to look at and go, wow, that, you know, two places on you know that are separated by how many thousand miles and cultures that are completely different and yet we have a similar um motif popping up independently um so and then uh if you if we wanted to talk briefly about the descriptions of heaven um we don't really have the super bright light that um, many Western near-death experiences feature, um, but there is, uh, you know, the these Buddhist descriptions feature, you know, beautiful gardens, um, uh, sweet-smelling flowers, beautiful jeweled kind of. Uh, buildings and pavilions, and uh, one of them even talks about uh, he hears monks chanting the whole time, which um, would be akin to uh, what people describe as the music of the spheres in uh, 
more Western near-death experiences. Um, and it seems like um, there's even kind of a, uh, a moment of gaining absolute wisdom, um, I believe is in the first one we read, where uh, the, uh, the um, guy who worked in the coffee shop, he's... he's having his third eye opened by Indra, the Lord of Heaven, and he he says that he understands all the mysteries of the universe, um, which is something that we also see in in uh, Western Christian Judeo-based um, near-death experiences where there's this kind of ultimate knowledge, but very hard to put into words, very hard to express, um, that you can't really... Uh, necessarily bring it back with you this this kind of ultimate understanding um but there there are even further you know similarities of, of we have the classic uh looking at the body uh trying to get back into the body um descriptions although they're slightly different but we we still have them um i believe the the last one we read uh he um was the monk was uh, trying to fall asleep, um, and that was also uh, sleep was mentioned um, as a trigger of the near death experience in the the first one we read, where it it kind of felt like a dream, but it wasn't a dream sort of thing. Where again, multiple times on, on some past episodes that we've had kind of uh, allusions to dreams um, and the dreamlike quality of of near death experiences. So really, um, like I said, don't have a whole lot of info on the specific religious beliefs of these individuals. Um, so I, there's not a whole lot I can say on that front. But my main goal in this was to present um, a, a culturally flavored set of near-death experiences where they're, they're all different. I mean, one... Um, tries to eat food and it turns to ash in his mouth and the other um, is able to eat his favorite foods from when he was a kid. Um, so even between each other, they're, they're different, but they, they clearly share um, strong cultural ties. Um, the emphasis on making merit, um, of doing good things for monks, for the religion, building temples, and by doing these actions... Um, one is able to get to a higher level of heaven. Um, and that's actually something that you kind of see um, in Western near-death experiences is the, is the idea that there are different um, kind of levels or a hierarchy of heaven um, and also hell, um, like Dante's Inferno and such, um, but different levels of heaven that one can attain depending on how pure your soul is of how um you know how um high your vibration is how close you are to god and and so on and so forth um we don't really have um a traditional life review um presented in in these which is interesting there is in the uh the case of the buddhist monk the last one we did he uh, there's kind of a life review where these um, these images of of roosters that he's killed kind of uh, try to condemn him to the Lord of Death Yama, and I guess you could think of that as kind of a more I don't know embodied life review where you are confronted from uh, by things that uh, or you know beings that you've wronged who kind of um, express their um, frustration with you, and but then he is also saved by um, another uh, animal that apparently he had saved, um, a turtle, um, which is kind of interesting, and, and that might definitely be a, a cultural thing. I mean, you would think that... Um, you would think that if you're being judged that you'd... Uh, kind of have to deal more with all your interactions with people as well as animals. But um, in this one, just expressed 
um, the judgments of, of animals, which, you know, um, might be a, a animals have less agency and are, are, might be thought of as more pure um, expressions of God or something. And, and the re, well, to give the rationale that they, uh, the near-death experience itself provides the animals are, are um, souls who are living um, a, uh, a reincarnation or a incarnation that is um, uh, harsher for based on what they've done with their lives before. And so to, to mistreat an animal is to um, mistreat someone who is in a, a really bad situation or something along those lines. And so you, you do get this strong religious element that comes through. Um, and I guess the main takeaway of these, at least for me, is, is how strong um, our beliefs, our religion, um, our culture, uh, how strong these things are in, in what we think about and experience in death. Um, and yet, and yet, there is still a universal element to where you can, though these are, are a different kind of experience, they are still um, comparable. So I think we'll end with that, and um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you found this thought-provoking, interesting. Um, just wanted to do something different. You know, I always talk about how I'd, I want to read these experiences from different cultures so I can get a bigger picture of, of what this is, what these experiences are. So I hope I was able to, to do that to some degree with this episode. Um, if you would like to reach out to me, you may do so at samreadsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. You can join the uh, Facebook page. Um, if you want to follow me along in my daily life, you may do so at, uh, on Instagram at the Timberline. And there's one other thing. I, I added a, um, a specific PayPal link. Um, if you want to, uh, kind of like a digital tip jar, if you want to throw me a buck for, uh, standing out on the street corner singing about death, um, I'll, uh, add that link into the, uh, into the description of the podcast. So uh, now we will close out with a quote on death. So I thought it would be appropriate to close off this episode with a quote um, from Buddha. Um, and this is coming from the uh, Kudaka Nikaya. Um, and I really love this, this quote because uh, I think there's a very deep truth in it. So... No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. Buddhas merely teach the way. By ourselves is evil done. By ourselves we pain endure. By ourselves we cease from wrong. By ourselves we become pure.